This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. This is your mostly regular um, host of Meanwhile in Memphis, Anna Thompson, otherwise known as AT around these parts. And I hope you are having a very good and cool Tuesday morning here in July. Um, I hope you are staying indoors. It is pretty warm, um, but that's all right. We can can definitely take it. Um, If you are new here, the organization behind Meanwhile in Memphis is New Memphis, a local leadership development nonprofit that focuses on our city's best asset, which we believe is our people. Uh, We have a full spectrum of leadership development opportunities uh, from collegians all the way up to C-suite executives. And we also have opportunities for our educators as well. And something exciting is that you heard last week more in depth about our LDI 25th anniversary, but I would be remiss to say that we are very excited to celebrate all year long the wonderful accomplishments of the Leadership Development Intensive and all of the alumni and graduates that have come from that program since who are doing amazing things in our city. So today, dear listener, we have a TED episode, um, which is where New Memphis brings back previous TEDx Memphis speakers to talk about their talks and see what's new, what's been happening, how they prepared for the infamous TEDx stage, and more. So today we have William Fry Arnold joining us in the studio. He gave a 2021 TEDx Memphis talk. From Locked Up to Locked Out, The Value of Reentry. Um, I'm really excited for this one. I feel like it's the perfect tandem episode to go along with our um, our talk with Josh Spickler of Just City, which you can scroll back through our archives and find, and also our talk um, a few weeks ago with Ben Adams of the Memphis Shelby Crime Commission. I think all of these work really well in tandem to get more of a full picture of what our city is doing, what we can do, where our opportunities are, and most importantly, dear listener, how you can get involved and activate on your love of Memphis. So William um, is amazing, and I cannot wait for you to get into our chat, but I wanted to give you a little bit of background on him first. So uh, justice-involved individuals have a difficult time being welcomed and reentered into society after incarceration. Those who work closely with these individuals need to have certain level of emotional intelligence and rationality to support the complexities around incarceration and forgiveness. William Fry Arnold knows this firsthand as a former incarcerated person and now as a consultant and change maker. William has 17 plus years of experience in higher education and community engagement particularly around diversity, equity, and inclusion. In 2013, he was wrongfully convicted of crimes that he did not commit. His conviction was overturned by an appellate court in April of 2020. Today, William uses his professional training and recent life experiences to create a reformed criminal justice platform that views diversity as a viable way for returning citizens from prison to restore dignity, decrease recidivism, and add value to the workforce. 
his story is remarkable. It is impactful. And one of the things that you will um, hear in just a few minutes is that it is full of humanity and all of the central tenets that make each of us um, human. Uh, We are all We've all made mistakes. We will all continue to make mistakes. And how we treat those around us who have made mistakes um, speaks a great deal to our own character. And I am excited to have this conversation, not because I think it's going to be flowery and saccharine sweet, but because it is a necessary conversation for our um, emerging leaders, for our current leaders, and for our community at large to make sure that we understand the landscape that formerly incarcerated or justice involved individuals have when they are attempting to re-enter society, what that means, how we can help, and why we should. So without further ado, let's get into our TED episode with William Fry Arnold. Welcome to the studio, William. I'm so excited to have you here today. Well, glad to be here. Good on this hot, hot day. Um, So I wanted to open up and give you an opportunity to kind of tell us a little, tell the listening audience about yourself. Um, Are you a native Memphian? Um, Just kind of give us your story. Sure. Okay. Uh, Well, yeah, I am a native Memphian. Okay. Uh, I like to say born and bred in Memphis. Love it. Uh, Proud product of the Memphis City School System. Okay. uh, Which, of course, no longer exists. uh, White Station High School. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, oh, our summer interns are from White Station High School, oh, actually. Okay. They're good interns. Yes, man. they That's are. They're, they're, they're excellent. Absolutely. So uh, after uh, graduating from uh, from White Station, I went uh, east. I like to say my life has existed up and down I-40. I went up 40 east, I guess, about 600 miles and took a stop in Knoxville, Tennessee. My dad would say God's country. Uh, uh, he, he, he's he was, a good man. He was an Eagle Scout um, in East Tennessee. Okay, was yeah. It? Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I was a, a volunteer uh, yes. <laughs> at the University of Tennessee. And uh, after finishing my time at UT, uh, I moved to Nashville. And I lived in Nashville for about 17 years, and uh, there I, I, I made a life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, found my calling, which at the time I, I believe was higher education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I received graduate degrees uh, in higher education from Tennessee State University, and I went to work. I uh, worked for TSU, I worked for the uh, Tennessee Higher Education Commission, and then finally the Tennessee Board of Regents. Okay, uh, what is that? So Sorry. the Tennessee Board of Regents, well, then it was the governing board for uh, the state's colleges and universities. Oh, okay. Anything that was a non-UT school. So University of Memphis, Austin P, Tennessee State, and all of the community colleges. Okay. But in the last nine years, or at least when Governor Haslam was in office, he restructured the Tennessee Board of Regents. Okay. And made all of the universities their own entity. So now the Tennessee Board of Regents just governs the community colleges and the Tennessee colleges of applied technology. Okay, yeah. interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so from there. So from there, uh, I was working at TBR, um, and I was, uh, you know, volunteering in the community, uh, sitting on boards, doing all that good stuff. Uh, and it was through volunteer work that I was accused of a crime that I didn't commit. Right. Um, I went to trial. Uh, I was actually uh, convicted uh, in July of 2013 sentenced to 25 years in prison at what a hundred percent and i spent six years nine months in the state penitentiary and it was in gosh 
in February of 2020, my case was overturned. The sentence was vacated and the charges were dismissed. And I came home April 15th. Uh, 2020 at the height of this pandemic thing. Yeah, what a time yeah, oh, to, yeah. oh my word, to try to re-enter everything when yeah. everything else is shutting down. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news is that there's always a good time to re-enter society. Yes. Leaving <laughs> prison is always a great yes. thing. Yes. So, uh, but again, it was coming to what I thought was this zombie apocalypse. Absolutely. We all yeah. did at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. And so coming home and just, just getting uh, reacclimated to to freedom, but also in this, this totally new world. Um, but it was actually, I like to tell folks, a blessing in disguise for me because reentry can be challenging. Right. Um, coming back into society and just trying to understand what's going on. So during the pandemic at that time, it was like the world was on pause. So I was able to drive without a lot of cars on the street. I was able to do sort of some exploration of the city and just, just learn the city again without a lot of crowds. So that was good for me. Oh, that's actually yeah, nice. So it was a blessing in disguise. Less overwhelming yeah. in that way. Absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine yeah, yeah. having to oh, relearn yeah. to drive and everything like that. Yeah. With, especially if you're trying to go down Poplar. Shoot. That's... <laughs> Either, or Union. <laughs> yeah, or Union yeah. or yeah, any, oh, yeah. yeah, any of the parkways, you know, just all around. Here we Absolutely. go. Yeah. So, um, you talked briefly about reentry and what that looked like in 2020. But can you talk to me a little bit? We've had a few podcast guests on in the past, like Josh Spickler from Just City, um, talking about the hurdles that are in place for reentry, no matter what reentry looks like. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like, the reality of what that means, and particularly what it means for somebody whose charges were vacated. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, first of all, I'll just uh, start, you know, just at the beginning. And yeah. reentry, of course, is the process where individuals uh, come back into society who've been uh, incarcerated. Um, so when you, when you think of that time, you know, no matter how long the incarceration is, you're talking about a person who's dealt with a certain level of trauma. Yes. Um, you know, being locked in any type of situation, but definitely in a cage, and then you come back into this 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 whole uh, uh, freedom type of thing. It's a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge because you're trying to figure out, um, you know, norms yeah. again because uh, you've been in a situation where every every minute of your day was regulated by someone else. Um, you couldn't really make a whole lot of decisions for yourself or your yeah. life on your own, and now you have this freedom. Just kind of autonomy, quote unquote. To some degree, right? Yes, yeah, right. to some degree. Yeah. And quote so, autonomy. <laughs> right. And just trying to trying to make sense of it. Um, uh, but the challenges are are emotional, they're mental, um, they're physical, they're uh, sociological. Yeah. Um, so for me, in, in my situation, I didn't have a lot of the issues that most people who reenter society have. Okay. I like to say that throughout my process, what kept me grounded and what kept me going was faith, family, and friends. So having this huge support system of uh, family, friends, fraternity brothers, lodge brothers, et cetera, folks who, who knew me and knew my character. So coming out of prison, um, I had a place to stay, which most people don't. Right. So I was able to you know, live with a relative. I had a fraternity brother who was like, hey, man. Here are the keys to my truck. I've got two other cars. Keep it as long as you need it. Wow. So I was mobile. Yeah, I was That's mobile. Great. I was. Uh, I had a place to stay. Um, had a couple of dollars in my pocket. 
So when you think about most folks, they don't have that coming out out of prison or out of jail. Those basic needs to try to accomplish really anything moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. You don't realize how important that is. Um, You know, some folks come out, they don't even have clothes. Uh, So, you know, clothes, a toothbrush. Um, I recall um, a conversation I had with a guy when I was, excuse me, in prison who was going to be getting out uh, next three months or so, and I'll call him Jake. Okay. Uh, Jake was telling me in prison, he was like, uh, Doc, you know, um, when I get out of here, I got to live under a bridge. And I was like, what? Yeah, he, he's, he told me he's going to have to live under a bridge because he had two different charges. And one halfway house didn't accept one charge, and the other halfway house didn't accept the other charge. And so these were his only two places. He had no family, he had no friends. And he had just pretty much gotten it in his mind and in his spirit that he was going to have to live under a bridge upon uh, leaving prison. Wow. And yeah, and that's the same thing I said. Even behind the prison walls, I was like, what? How defeating. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you never think about, um, you know, what, what folks are, are, are dealing with coming out of that situation. Um, so, you know, that, that was, uh, as I said, it was, it was different for me. But then also coming out, you think that there are all these social services that are available, and rarely do folks consider individuals who have been incarcerated. Um, the one thing I could qualify for was food stamps at the time. I couldn't get any type of health insurance, uh, even though I had chronic uh, illnesses like a, uh, high blood pressure, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So there was, there was no health care. There was, uh, uh, like I said, there was there was no Yeah, all these no wraparound lot. services that yeah. I think a lot of people assume sure. are readily available yeah, yeah. are just not and, an option. And, and there are wraparound services. The key is finding them. Okay. Um, finding them and also utilizing them. And a lot of folks simply don't know how to find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, thankfully, as I said, I had a support system, but also had education. Yes. So it allowed me the opportunity to understand how to utilize the Internet, how to utilize networks. Uh, if you, you know, I'd, I'd been in prison seven years. Uh, in my mind, I like to say I was a highly functioning adult when I went to prison. Yes. But imagine someone who's not, mm-hmm. who 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 uh, doesn't have a high level of literacy, who just simply didn't, didn't even understand the internet, right? Yeah, doesn't have access or you know availability yeah. to yeah. those types of things. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so coming out and trying to find services is hard for a lot of people. Uh, it's hard because they don't know where to look, uh, they don't know how to look, and then not having any direction, uh, particularly any assistance from folks, can be a challenge. Or how to, I mean, the thing is that I have come to realize is like the ripple effect of all of it. Like even if you do know how to attempt to search for those wraparound services, if you don't have transportation, if you don't have access to transportation, if you don't have a mailing address, how many things are immediately crossed off for that. And I didn't realize, and this sounds so silly and privileged, and it is, but I just didn't realize that so many things like that are immediately out of reach Yeah, yeah. without all of that. And just one of the key things or the smallest things you don't think about is when most folks get out of prison or jail, they don't have an identification. That's okay. one of the biggest things, not having a, a state ID, okay. not having a birth certificate, not having a social security card. Because think about it, when you go to jail or prison, you're not thinking about, hey, hold my ID. Hold yeah. My, yeah. So, and think about the things that you can't do without a state ID. I mean, you can't do anything without the three of those, exactly. and they all link together. You can't get one without the other, pretty much. And, oh my goodness. And so that's, that was the challenge. Uh, but, you know, thankfully, 
I had, again, faith, family, and friends, folks who had kept my, my, um, my driver's license current. So I was able to walk out with a driver's license. Wow, okay. Uh, still had a birth certificate and had to order a Social Security card. Mm-hmm. But having those, those vital documents is so important to being able to just start over, being able to do anything. You can't get housing. You can't get a job. You can't get anything without those. So those are just some of those, those, those basic things that individuals need coming out as they reenter society. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what the past couple of years have looked like for you. Oh, wow. I know it's been a wild time for the world, but also yeah. for you personally. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the first year, I, you know, I have to say I was, I was lost. Uh, I was lost because I was just trying to figure out the world, trying to figure out how the world had changed. You know, I, I say it uh, jokingly, but it was true in that, um, you know, all of a sudden I go out to a restaurant and everybody's looking at their phones and nobody's talking to each other. Or uh, so it was like I didn't realize how big uh, smartphones had become in terms of how they really have regulate a hold folks' on. lives. Yeah. <laughs> Instagram didn't exist when I went to prison. Okay. Um, so I didn't realize how important social media had truly become. I mean, Facebook was big, but it wasn't you know, like, yeah. Yeah. But my parents weren't on Facebook and now they were. So all of a sudden that was different. Right. <laughs> so it was a different world um, or just the idea of how scheduling became important. And normally you could just pick up the phone and call somebody. And then I started to realize, oh, folks will say, hey, let's schedule a time to talk and just understanding how schedules just became really important and spontaneity wasn't a, wasn't a big deal anymore so it was a, it was it was challenging in that first year and and honestly I felt lost um I felt lost because I was you know I was seven years older um you know middle-aged man trying to figure out where do I fit in in this world uh I'd lived in Nashville for 17 years before that as we all know, Nashville has changed yes. uh, drastically. And in that seven years, I was like, wow. I hadn't lived in Memphis in 30 years oh, since wow. I graduated yeah. from high school. So uh, I like to say I'd never been an adult in Memphis. And that's totally different. And totally I mean, different. I'm I'm a native Memphian myself, and it, it just looks totally different. Yeah. And even month by month, never yeah. mind year by year, if yeah. you're, yeah. yeah. So for me, it was trying to figure out where do I fit in um, physically, where do I fit in mentally, emotionally, and then just trying to deal with what had just happened. Um, right, the that, trauma. The trauma, the drama, the uh, dehumanization, and trying to, to figure out how do I adjust. And so that was a, that was a serious roller coaster. Uh, so I had to have a number of conversations uh, with some folks and definitely some professionals. Yes. Just to try and figure that out. And so after spending a few months, you know, close to a year of just wondering, uh, it was like, hey, let's 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 get back in the workforce. Let's try and let's try and do something. Let's okay. try and, and take this experience and um, make something happen. Um, excuse me. So a number of opportunities um, came available, and one was the Office of Reentry started at the Tennessee Department of Labor and Workforce Development. And okay. uh, that, that was a new development? Totally new. Uh, this office just started in July of last year. Okay. Um, and I took the position as a director. Um, and the office is almost a year old. So I've been actually working in reentry. Um, as I'm living reentry, I'm now a reentry practitioner. So with that, it was this totally new office that had never been, um, had never existed anywhere else in the, in the, in the nation, actually. 
because it was an all, it was a statewide comprehensive office of reentry that was attached to the Department of Labor and Workforce Development. Okay. Now there are offices of reentry all over the, the the country, but they're normally attached to departments of correction, right? Okay. That so makes if you sense think there, about right? a, yeah, when you think about a department of correction and you think about what they do and why they exist, those are the entities that have the prisons. So. You, I like to say there's a disconnect, right? And that if you incarcerated me, you dehumanized me, you traumatized me, and then I'm walking out the door, I'm leaving, and now you say, hey, we've got these wonderful opportunities available to you through our Office of Reentry. Yeah, you're not really going to want to deal with the with the Department of Corrections unless you're obligated to. I mean, that trust is completely broken. I mean, if there, any, if there ever was any. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if there ever was any, right, because you know what – what this experience did to you. Yeah. So with our office of reentry, we approach reentry from what's called a, a, a work-based uh, standpoint. Love the that. idea yeah. that if a person has a job, a good job, a career, uh, paying a livable wage, um, reentry will be better. Uh, it'll be better because it will give that person uh, different objectives. Uh, it'll refocus their time, their energy. Uh, it helps with self-esteem because you're able then to provide for your family. Um, uh, Build back those blocks of the humanization, it feels like. I mean, absolutely. you have more purpose, quote unquote. That yeah. too. Safer communities as yeah. a result because if a person is going to work, if they're earning, they're not thinking about committing crimes, right? right? And then finally, it, it saves money because it's it's uh, it's a lot cheaper to have a person on the outside of prison and paying, I think it's roughly 78 bucks a day to have an individual incarcerated. Oh, interesting. And it, okay. And it also contributes to uh, the tax base. If you think about it, if you got folks making uh, making more money, um, contributing to this, to society, they can pay more taxes. So okay. in the grand scheme of things, it's a good thing. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, yeah. So how did it make you feel to be able to have almost this brand new role that you are uniquely qualified to direct? Yeah, unnerving. <laughs> uh, no, no, really, I have to say that because, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm a year, a little better than a year out of prison. Uh, I'm not a practitioner. I'm a trained administrator. But I have this personal experience so for me, it was how do I bring these things together? Um, how do I not make it so personal, so emotional? Oh, but that's right, tough. yes, that's tough. Yeah, absolutely. But um, particularly when you talk to folks who are going through reentry, who are really struggling with just some of those basic things. Um, in my position, uh, you know, I'm more of a, a bureaucrat, and that I'm not on the front line. So it's creating strategies, policies, procedures, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I love it. I love it. So even through the, the unnerving and the, the uh, yeah, the just, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. I can't complain. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so what kinds of things have you been directly linked to in uh, this in the last year? Wow. So in this last year, uh, I'll say the biggest thing, um, was April, April's National Second Chances Month. Oh. Yeah, very few folks are aware. I did not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that is the time where nationally we recognize those individuals who are getting a second chance uh, at life after having been incarcerated, uh, arrested, 
convicted. Uh, there's so many different ways to 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 uh, to to speak about it. Yeah. And so with Second Chance Month, uh, our office had these three regional events. First time we'd ever. I mean, well, heck, the, the office <laughs> just started. So, but it was the first time anything had been done yeah. uh, statewide. So we started out with April 1st uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. That's where my office is located. Oh. 37208 zip code, right? Mm -hmm. That is, it was a, gosh, I think a 2018 Brookings Institute study that said that 37208, which is North Nashville, is the most incarcerated zip code in the nation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go in figure. In the nation? In the nation, yep. So uh, we had this this event. It was a it was a resource fair. It was a job fair. Uh, it was a celebration. Uh, we had a number of, of uh, individuals. Well, not individuals. I'm sorry. Of entities that operate in the reentry space, uh, transitional housing, um, our American Job Centers, uh, a couple of prison ministries, and some some employers. Okay. So we had this 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 resource fair in the community center, Hadley Park Community Center, mm -hmm. at 37208 zip code. Got to give a shout out, the TSU Aristocrat Band's drum line kicked it off for us. They were awesome. Ooh, yeah, yeah. coming so, out, yeah. yeah coming yeah. out with style. Oh, yeah. Um, and we had a program, uh, Governor Bill Lee, uh, as a part of his vision of what, it, what we call, we like to call a true criminal justice reform. Uh, actually, is uh, he's the, the face or the spirit, if you will, behind our office. Okay. He came and he spoke. Um, about the value of reentry, about the seriousness of reentry, um, we had a couple of folks speak who were operating in the reentry space. One gentleman who is an entrepreneur, um, but he spoke about how hard it is for him making a six-figure income. He still can't get an apartment, right? Yeah, yeah, go figure. So he he owns multiple businesses, but because of those barriers that come with reentry he's still unable to get housing if he were to try and get an apartment. So, you know, we think about all these things and you're like, wow, because the, the I like to say that you're othered okay. by, by, um, by being arrested, by being convicted, by being charged. It creates this whole otherness where you find yourself often on the, um, on the outside looking in. But uh, it was a huge event. Um, we, as I said, we, do, we did it uh, April 1st. Uh, then on April 8th, we brought the show here to Memphis, and uh, we were able to, to have a really great event um, at the Shelby County Office of Reentry. Okay. Uh, Shelby County is the only um, county in the state that has its own Office of Reentry. So I want to give a, a big shout out to DeAndre Brown and uh, his staff for allowing us the opportunity to come in and do it in his uh, at, at their offices. Uh, Heidi Kuhn was there, uh, gosh, uh, Harold, uh, Harold Rollins. Okay. So a, a number of local folks who have their hands in reentry. We had some expungement clinics uh, at, at the events, and the expungement clinic in Memphis was so successful that we were actually, you know, unfortunately unable to accommodate everyone. Wow. Though. And uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, it was great. Uh, then the 15th, we took the week off. Uh, Much it was deservedly. Good yeah, it was Good Friday. <laughs> and the 22nd, we took the show on the road again to Knoxville. So, okay. And thinking of true Tennesseans, um, we hit all three grand regions mm -hmm. uh, with our expungement clinics, our job resource fairs, and some programs of uh, just spreading the, you know, the gospel of reentry and why it's important. That's so exciting. So, yeah.
Thanks. I love that. I'm excited to see what exciting things continue to come as the um, as the office kind of plants its roots and gets more of that strong foundation. Good deal. I love it. Okay, so um, this will actually be an excellent time for us to get into William Fry Arnold's 2021 TEDx Memphis talk titled "From Locked Up to Locked Out: The Value of Reentry." Before I, I say anything else, it's, it's really important to me to know who's in the house. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions. And if you could just by a simple round of applause, if it applies to you, just do that for me. Thumbs up. Cool. All right. First of all, if you've ever had to ask for forgiveness, please clap. That's good. That's good. All right. If you have ever knowingly done something wrong, something you know you weren't supposed to do, but you did it anyway. Oh, okay, clap. All right. Now, now on this next one, um, you don't necessarily have to say what it was, but if you have ever broken the law and didn't get caught, clap. No, no, I mean, those, I mean, really clap. I mean, those of y'all who broke the law. All right, good deal. All right, now that I know all of y'all's business, uh, let me tell you a bit about me. Uh, my name is William E. Arnold Jr. I am a native Memphian raised by a single mom right here in Memphis. I'm a proud product of the Memphis City School System. Um, I attended the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, and then after that I did graduate work at Tennessee State University, and it was that graduate work that changed my name in 2005 to Dr. William Edward Arnold Jr. And it allowed me to have a pretty much middle-class life, uh, working in higher education, uh, serving on boards, volunteering in my community. But then in 2013, I was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to 25 years in prison. I spent six years and nine months in the state penitentiary. And then in January of last year, my case was overturned, the sentence was vacated, and the charges were dismissed. So in April of 2020, at the height of the pandemic, y'all, I was released. And in about 24 hours, I went from being on lockdown as inmate 524840 to doing what millions of people are gonna someday do. I was re-entering society. Now, what is re-entering society? Re-entry is a process whereby people who are just as involved, and let's stop there for a minute. When I say people who are just as involved, that's what they are, people who have had some involvement with justice. They may have been in prison, they may have been in jail, maybe on probation or parole. They're not ex-cons, they're not felons, they're not bad guys. They're people who are just as involved. So re-entry, as I said, is a process whereby people who are just as involved transition back into society. Okay, so I was doing that at that moment. I was getting sort of a reset. I think we call it today a what? Pinky, pointer, pointer, control, all delete maybe? Yeah, that's what we'll call it. So with that, here I am re-entering society. And uh, I just spent seven years in this horrible, depressing place, right? But it was through the power of faith, family, and friends that I was able to make it through that, y'all. I was able to make it through the support of those folks. But what was most important through that was it allowed me to see the value, 
the value of the men with whom I was incarcerated with. Men who were telling me stories about their families, their kids, their nieces, their nephews, their wives. Men who just wanted to get back home to their families and live out the rest of their lives. I found value in these people. I remember one guy, uh, he had taught himself to paint these wonderful portraits. And he would steady his hand, his right hand with his left hand because he had Parkinson's. But he was persevering through it. And then when my cousin's dog died, Tyler, I gave a guy a picture of Tyler. and He took soap, pen, ink, and watercolors and looked at that picture of Tyler and made a perfect statue that she has sitting on her mantle. These are men who can do more with less. Men who have abilities that would blow your mind. Resourceful, visionaries. So when you think about our workforce and you think about adding people to it, I mean, if you're anything like me, every time you go to Target or I'm gonna go old school Fred's if it was still around or Zare, right? Aren't y'all tired of seeing those shelves empty? Because we need more people in our workforce. We need to tap into this. So when you think about this, this population, it is very, very important, all right? So the challenge with reentry is that many times when these folks come home, they don't have driver's license. They don't have social security cards. They don't have birth certificates. Those are the small barriers. We're not talking about the lack of housing, transportation, insurance. My own personal story, I couldn't get an Airbnb account, y'all. Airbnb, I couldn't rent a, a, a weekend away for an Airbnb, but I was able to vote. So, all right, go figure. So what I'm saying is think about what these folks are dealing with. Think about that. Um, I'd like to just leave you with something real quick. The next time you think about someone who is justice involved, and before you frown, turn your nose up or punch down, I want you to think about this. That person paid their debt to society, right? They paid their debt to society. So think about those individuals who have paid their debt to society. And I want you to think about how loud you clap when you said you didn't get caught. And the only difference between them and you is caught and uncaught. Thank you. Welcome back, dear listener. Um, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM, and we have William Arnold in our studio today talking about his 2021 TEDx Memphis talk titled From Locked Up to Locked Out, The Value of Reentry. So now that our listeners have had a moment to listen to your wonderful TED talk, we always have to ask, what was it like? preparing to do a TED Talk. It is very unique to any other presentation. No cue cards, nothing like that. Yeah. I mean, we did it in an outside venue. So you were at the Overton Park Shell. Yeah. Tell us about your experience. Uh, initially, it was horrifying. Um, <laughs> Don't sugarcoat it for me. No, I have to say that because, I mean, you know, it's this, it's this thing of, well, first of all, you know, everybody's scared of public speaking. Yes. So uh, that always, you know, puts knots in my stomach, uh, even though I have to do it uh, periodically, <laughs> right? But then you have all this time to prepare, um, and you have to, you know, you have certain timelines that you have to meet. Uh, uh, Darius, I think is his name, yes. was amazing. Our lovely and coach. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So I never had to give a speech where I had a coach. 
So, you know, and, you know, if you're a player on a team, you want to make certain that you make the coach happy. Oh, true, uh, true. So, so you know, all, all those moving parts made it made it uh, interesting. And I say interesting for a number of reasons. It, it, it gave me the time to have structure in doing it. So there was really no procrastination. That was good. Uh, also gave me an opportunity to talk to someone who, who does this professionally yeah. um, and who gave me some tips that, that really helped. But, uh, you know, and I have to be honest, I was so nervous that day that I literally forgot about a minute and 30 seconds of my speech. So it would have been longer. And don't ask me to, to give you I was going to say, are you ready? Because, are you, no. the, the microphone is yours, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, today's, today's not the time. Today is not that yeah, day. Yeah, I haven't practiced. <laughs> but, um, but no, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, and I just kind of, you know, serendipity, for lack of a better term, uh, friends said, hey, you should, you should try this. And so, you know, I just kind of flippantly uh, applied. And then when I got accepted, I was like, Oh, now I got to do it. That's what everyone says. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, like, yeah, literally, everybody's yeah. like, oh, I applied on a whim, you know, yeah. to do it. And then they're like, wait, now I have to now I have to give the speech. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but um, it was good because, again, I, I had a number of family members there, saw a few friends in the audience. And what was even better was that folks were just welcoming. Um, it's a great day in Memphis uh, that, that morning. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, the crowd made me feel feel at home, so no yeah. complaints here. Well, I'm glad, it, even though it was horrifying, I'm glad it was a good experience yeah. for you on the back end. Um, so you opened up your talk in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, you had people raise their hands if they had ever, or clap, I guess, mm-hmm. if they had ever done something you knew was wrong, mm-hmm. but you did it anyway. Yep. Yep. That hit like a gut punch to me. I mean, it was truly like, okay. I mean, how many little, even if it's little, like, oh, I didn't stop completely yeah. at that stop sign. I might have rolled right through it. Like, yeah. no matter how big or small. Hey. And the fact that you, like, brought out the distinction of, yeah. like, everybody's done it. Yep. Yep. Well, what was key in that for me was just getting folks to be human. Mm-hmm. And rarely do we give ourselves uh, permission to be human. We talk a lot about transparency, but realizing, hey, we all make mistakes. We've all made mistakes, and we're going to continue to make mistakes. But when those mistakes are put in context of the law um, and the fact that we've all broken the law in, mm-hmm. in some shape, form, or fashion, mm-hmm. whether you were speeding, you, as you say, you roll through, roll a, through stop a stop sign. sign. You didn't know, we, stop completely, but, you know. Yep. Didn't put on a blinker. See? It can be as simple as that. But how many of us are going to openly say it? How many of us are going to admit to that humanity, that that uh, lack of being perfect, right? So I, I've, I, that's, that's just kind of how I came up with that. Because uh, when I think about, you know, reentry and I think about the men that I met in prison, I had the opportunity to see them as men, as humans, humans who whether they were supposed to be in prison or not, but folks who had made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And we, we've all met, we will all make them. And, but these folks were, were being punished over and over for these mistakes. Um, anytime you, you've gotten a bill in the mail or uh, you go to the store, you, 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 pay, your, you pay it. You, know, mm-hmm. you paid your debt, so to speak. 
So then we, it goes away. It goes away. And you're not constantly being charged for that candy bar or that meal or, or that automobile or that student loan. Yeah. Whatever. Oh gosh, it's, thank yeah. Goodness. Right. Okay. <laughs> but it's paid. Yeah. And so it's I can't make this connection or this understanding of why society continues to make individuals pay over and over and over. If you spent five, 10, 20, if you've done your sentence, you've done your time. Why then when you come out, are you continuously being, yeah, paying? Um, So at what point do we, do we stop that? At what point is the bill finally paid and it just goes away? I mean, my word. Um, Josh Spickler always likes to say, um, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And I'm always like, oh, okay. Yeah. And he was like, and sometimes, you know, that that hammer just keeps coming and coming, Banging coming away. for you. Yeah. yeah. So um, I love the angle that you took also in your talk because the buildup was so grand. Hmm. Um, hearing you um, overcoming struggles, completing your education to earn your doctor um, in front of, like the doctor in front of your name. Yeah. Your PhD. So um, it all seemed like the picture perfect journey. Mm. up to that point, which I think made the buildup even like the the fall, I guess, that drop. It really yeah. like made it felt like a roller coaster a little bit. Like it felt like I was climbing, climbing, climbing with yeah. you. And I was like, I'm here. I'm ready. And yeah. then all of a sudden it was like the bottom fell out. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, and it halted when you share that you were wrongfully convicted and sentenced to 25 years in prison. And I want to make sure that I um, emphasize the wrongfully Thank convicted. Thank <laughs> um, so it really hit home for me that it really could be anyone Absolutely. in this story. And to your point of making the humanity known, if any of us have forgotten to put on your blinker, it could literally be anybody because anybody can be wrongfully convicted. Yeah. I yeah. mean, or uh, charged, convicted, whatever it yeah. is. And so that, like you said, the TED Talk was horrifying for mm-hmm. you. That was horrifying to me. Yeah. Like, so walk me through... Um, Let's see. Um, Yeah, I'm still like thinking about how anybody could be wrongfully accused. It was very frightening. Um, So you ended up spending six years and nine months in the state penitentiary. um, And the charges were dropped, like you said, in Mm -hmm. April of 2020, Mm -hmm. just as the world flipped upside down. Um, So we've already talked about your role now and what Mm -hmm. you've been doing for the last couple of years. But I loved the term that you said, um, justice involved or um, justice adjacent or like. Yeah. So talk to me about how that became the term that you feel is most appropriate. Sure, sure. So justice involved individuals. Uh, I have to first say it's not mine. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I can't take credit for that, though. I'd love to make, you know, 10% off of every, <laughs> <You'd love laughs> every to time. You'd yeah, that, yeah. yeah. But uh, it really comes from sort of a, a, a federal definition, um, the Workforce uh, uh, Innovative uh, Opportunity Act. Uh, uh, establishes justice-involved individuals. And those are folks who've either been arrested, mm-hmm. who've been charged, or who've been incarcerated. So anyone who's had um, uh, uh, any connection with the criminal justice system where there's, to some degree, a, a mark on their name because an arrest can be an issue. Yeah, uh, Being charged can be an issue because these are things that you'll ultimately have to get expunged, right? Or carry, so, yeah. So that you can... Um, move forward because these are these are things that can keep you from getting a job Mm -hmm. that can keep you from getting good housing that can just keep you from living life um but what i i like about this term is that it restores dignity to folks who've been um involved with the criminal justice system 
Uh, so often we hear ex-con, Ooh, offender, yeah. jailbird, you know, and yeah. they, 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 they hit a little differently than a justice-involved individual. Uh, but what I'm also learning is the challenge is that most folks who are justice-involved don't realize that the term applies to them because for so long they've been called these other things. Right. right? So in just the work, uh, that, that I do, it's how do we get, uh, get individuals to understand that justice involved is the terminology that we're using. So we often have to lead in with, have you been arrested? Have you been charged? Have you been convicted? If so, you are a justice involved individual. Because rarely is there any dignity applied to, to any of those other checkboxes. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that's that's the challenge, is how do you begin to change the, the, the narrative and get folks to say, that, hey, there's still some dignity in this, and, and you deserve that dignity because you're human. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's interesting how much the, the simple term changing mm-hmm. can matter and the impact it can have. Um, we like to call challenges for our city, we like to call them opportunities. Absolutely. So even just reframing it like yeah. that is an opportunity for somebody to solve a problem. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, the, all the challenges Memphis, is, Memphis has and all the challenges that yeah. are, you know, it makes it seem like Everest is in front of us all the time <laughs> instead of, hey, there's an opportunity to do something new. Yeah, or better. Or, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I love, too, that the narrative change has mm-hmm. such a strong impact and hinges on that dignity. I like that, too, it all comes back to that, truly, is that that yeah. humanness yep. of everything. That's the thing. Humanness and not otherness, I like to call it. Okay. Yeah. Love that. Um, so finding the value of people who can do more with less and be resourceful and visionary. You talked in your um, TED Talk about so many of the talents oh, of the gentlemen that you spent those six years with. So I also agree that like the workforce would be tremendously mm-hmm. better off with people who know how to do more with less, Absolutely. know how to, again, problem solve, like yeah. we just talked about, like all of the skill sets, mm-hmm. really and truly. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about anything else like yeah. that? Yeah, well, you know, what, what you first have to realize about folks who are in prison is that um, not everyone who went to prison didn't work. They all had, uh, well, not they all, excuse me, but a number of them had jobs. Mm-hmm. A number of them had skills prior to. Um, and then being in prison, there's still opportunities to get training. Uh, you can get a number of technical uh, skills. Um, uh, you can now get a college degree again in prison. But when I say more with less, I say that, you know, in prison you don't have a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I saw guys able <laughs> this is crazy, but we actually had at the prison I was at, we actually had keys, right? Okay. To get into your your in and out of your cell oh. uh, during times that you are um, you're able to, to move around. Yeah. And then you could buy batteries on commissary for your remote controls for your TVs. Okay. And so it was interesting to see that guys would you would put the key on the battery cause a spark mm-hmm. and that's how they used that's how they lit cigarettes interesting so it's just <laughs> like that uh yeah like those skill sets yeah, that you're like sets. oh right, hey i know right. that this will do that yeah so how can i make that work for yeah. me yeah to see a to see a man take a uh portable battery operated shaver and reconfigure it and turn it into a tattoo gun 
Um, oh yeah, that's wild. Oh, yeah, yeah like of, that's some engineering skills. Exactly. That yeah. you know, I'm sure a lot of employers would be like, "Hey, wait a second. Yeah, yeah. let's build some so, engines. Let's build some you know absolutely. technology absolutely. here." So it was just interesting to see what what folks were able to do. Um, when you don't have access to, to true tools and resources, but what the imagination can do for you is, is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned how important it is to change the narrative to justice involved, but what do you think um, the average Memphian listening to this can help do to change the narrative of reentry? Mm, understand, again, that these are people. Um, if you have the power to employ an individual, um, the power to uh, assist an individual, whether you're in a nonprofit, a faith-based organization, you own your own business, uh, incorporate these individuals into you know your 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 daily activities. Uh, I would say hire them. I would say uh, give them opportunities to learn, not other them. Uh, that's that would be. The first thing, and I would say if, if you have an, an individual who's a part of your family or your sphere of influence who is incarcerated, reach out to them. Um, incarceration is a very dark thing, and I saw a lot of folks who just had no connection to the outside world. You'd be surprised at what a birthday card or a letter can do for a person who's incarcerated, just the hope that it gives them. Wow, yeah. yeah. Um. One of the other things I know that I talked about at the beginning about how you started your TED Talk, mm -hmm. but the only difference between them and you is caught and uncaught. Absolutely. I mean, if that's not a mirror for society that I feel like you held up, I mean, everybody was like clapping, clapping, and then every <laughs> all of a sudden everybody was like, whoa. Yeah. Things just took that turn, and now I'm looking at me, and I don't like what I see. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's just, um, that's crazy. Yeah. Like I said, if you just think about uh, whenever you broke the law, for those of you who are listening, if it had been documented, if uh, it had been, uh, if you'd been arrested, mm -hmm. how different would your life be? Um, and so that that's a big challenge with reentry is how different it makes an individual's life after they go through that experience because of what it keeps them from doing, how it uh, makes them a second-class citizen instantly because they just don't have access to things as a result. Yeah. Um, you mentioned part of the hurdle of reentry is also that mental and emotional battle of the trauma. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to take a moment and make our listeners aware that we've been talking a lot about mental health mm -hmm. over the last couple of years and how it's kind of come to the forefront and it's now more acceptable to be okay not being okay yep. and so I just wanted to take a moment to give you um, some time to talk about any resources for anything like that that you think that you would like to shout out or just any hope that yeah. you would like to share with anybody about that journey. Sure, yeah. Um, just know that uh, you can uh, at the end of the day. I, I know that it hurts. Um, you know, I, I think about uh, the weddings, the graduations, the births, the funerals that I missed, and that hurts. Mm -hmm. That hurts because you weren't able to be there for your family and, and for your friends. Um, and then just that loss of time. But you know the good news is that you're here now and you can make up for that lost time um 
the State Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse has a behavior health safety net program um, that allows individuals to get uh, uh, free mental health services. And I, I strongly want to encourage anyone who doesn't have access to resources to reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is help and there's, 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 uh, there's hope as well. Yeah. I love that. Um, so let's see. Do, do, do. What is something that you're most excited about for the rest of the year? Oh, gosh. Um, just work. Uh, you know, we're going into our second year. Uh, I've got a full staff now, six folks. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what year two looks like. Uh, we have KPIs, key performance oh, indicators. Yeah. yeah, oh, y'all are official oh, now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> getting it. But the good news is that we've, like, blown our KPIs out the water. So it was it, just in terms of the number of individual justice-involved individuals, we've been able to uh, um, um, inform about our services, register for our services through our American Job Centers. So I'm looking to see what year two looks like. As you know, now these folks have registered. Now we want to get them jobs, and we want to help uh, reduce that recidivism rate. Because what a lot of folks don't know is in Tennessee, unfortunately, uh, one in two folks who come out of incarceration are going to go back within three years. So the hope is that through our services, through better jobs, through access to just better wraparound services and resources, that won't happen. And, um, you know, we'll have, a, we'll have a better state as a result. I love it. Thriving community, better state. I love Indeed. it. Um, so this is our final question. We like to ask all of our guests, and we never prep anybody. I know. Your eyes just got huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what does being a Memphian mean to you? Oh, my gosh. So being a Memphian is just, it's the spirit. Um, and, and I say it's the spirit because uh, I've lived in, in East Tennessee. I've lived in Middle Tennessee. And, of course, being from Memphis, uh, it, it's, it's, it's something about being from Memphis is just a sense of pride that other folks either going to love it or – respect no. it okay. <laughs> i rather say respect okay. it. and uh no and i saw that actually uh when i was in school at ut how folks just like to flock around memphis folks because we had this something about us this 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 bravado um you know whether you're male or female it's yeah just, hey i'm from memphis i'm from the 901 mm-hmm. and even in nashville um there was there was this sort of understanding of hey he he's from memphis and so he's going to carry himself a different way so yeah. I just I love the history. Uh, I love the spirit of just being a Memphian because it's it's different than being just a regular Tennessean. You say I'm from Memphis. I like yeah. to say we're the 51st state, <laughs> <laughs> the great state of Memphis. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure all of our listeners say. would agree yeah, with that. Yeah. I love it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add that we didn't get to touch on today? Uh, nothing. I mean, again, I'm, I'm just I, I appreciate you making time for me, inviting me. Absolutely, uh, it's, so it's it's an important conversation. And again, we want to remind all of our listeners to treat everyone um, that you interact with the dignity and humanity that we all are deserving of. Indeed. I agree. Awesome. Well, have a great day. All right. You have a better one. Ah, bye. What a fantastic episode, dear listener. Thank you so much for um, listening all the way to the end because you got every juicy truth nugget that uh, William could give. And I'm just still really processing all of the things that he was saying and really taking a hard look in the mirror at 
myself, the mistakes I've made and how easily I could be on a different path. And I would encourage each of you to do the same and then use that compassion and dignity and give it away to other people. As Linda Bailey said last week, um, your gifts are not really your gifts unless you've given them away. So uh, a few end of show announcements. We um, are deep in the thick of our summer experience and we have a event this Thursday, July 14th, Memphis 101 at the Bluff. On Thursday, July 21st, we have speed mentoring at the FedEx Event Center at Shelby Farms Park, and we will close out our summer experience on Thursday, July 28th with a power hour at Grind City Brewing. The power hour on July 28th also happens to be National Intern Day, so we highly recommend that every um, college student local or visiting intern this summer um, comes out to Grind City Brewing to join us and say farewell to the um, the hottest of hot weather um, and our wonderful experience in summer experience. Um, please head over to newmemphis.org to learn more about all of the events we have to offer. And this would be a fabulous time for me to remind you that New Memphis, the organization behind Me While in Memphis on WIXR that you are listening to right now, is a local nonprofit. So um, I would encourage you to give with your heart and make contributions to the organizations that you love around our city. If you have participated in a program, come to one of our wonderful community engagement events, or um, have really, if you're listening to this podcast, you're also consuming one of the wonderful things that, one of our services that we provide. So I would encourage you to consider throwing a little change our way. There's no gift too small, and there's also no gift too large. So don't let that impede you either, dear listener. And with that, um, I'm going to say farewell and have a wonderful rest of your Tuesday. Bye. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.